Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Health Connect South Radio. Now here's your host, C.W. Hall. Hey, what's up, everyone? It is CW. Thank you for joining us on the Health Connect South radio show today, our 71st episode. And we're coming down the final days towards the Health Connect South event coming up September 21st, being held at the Georgia Aquarium downtown Atlanta. And if you've not registered already, make sure you do so at healthconnectsouth.com. There'll be a link there to get registered for the event. There's also going to be a spot where you can use the promo code. Our listeners and guests get to utilize Uh, Radio X as a promo to get a discount off of their registration. Make sure that your colleagues around your uh, social media connections know about that opportunity as well uh, so that they can take advantage and uh, be there with us at the aquarium for the Health Connect South event. I've been to each of the events they've had so far, and I can tell you there's some high-level experts there. And each time that we have come together as a group, uh, collaborations definitely have occurred. This year, we're going to be focusing on the top disease states uh, as defined by the World Health Organization, listening to experts talk about various ways that they are trying to reduce the rate of occurrence and the significance of impact of these disease states around uh, our communities. Today, I'm joined not in the studio, we're, we're connecting remotely, but Dr. Carolyn Compton out at Arizona State University going to be one of the speakers on a panel coming up here at the Health Connect South event, going to be discussing big data and its deployment in healthcare, how it's affecting delivery of healthcare and where, where we might have opportunities to do more of that. Thanks for taking some time today, Dr. Compton. I know that you're quite busy. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me, Charles. For folks who aren't familiar with you, share your story. It's it's certainly a, a busy one. You you've got yourself involved with a number of major projects, uh, so you're somebody that uh, likes to stay busy for sure. Uh, I know that you're active as faculty there at Arizona State, but you also teach pathology with Mayo Clinic in addition to being a chief medical officer with a couple of organizations. So share a little bit about your story. I am an academic pathologist by training and background, um, CW, and I um, spent most of my career practicing high-volume pathology at Massachusetts General Hospital. I was a professor of pathology at Harvard Medical School, and I also ran simultaneously two um, research laboratories, one in pancreatic cancer and one in tissue engineering and wound healing. And I was involved in big NCI-funded clinical trials. Um, and I was also involved in a lot of professional organizations that set standards for medicine and still am quite involved with those, like the College of American Pathologists and the American Joint Committee on Cancer. And I've done all of this because all of my career, I've been very focused on quality of healthcare being delivered to patients. Um, And for me, this is all about patients. Everything that I do is about patients and how to make what we do um, as a profession uh, more able to deliver what patients need and deserve. So that's been my motivation and looking for like-minded colleagues um, who are um, tireless and intelligent um, about uh, similar approaches um, has led me to be 
working um, with the organizations uh, that I belong to now. Um, I, I um, am looking forward to this uh, opportunity at Health Connect South to talk about big data and how it's being used. Um, for, for one particular reason, um, I certainly um, am, am uh, very enthusiastic about the transformational capability of big data and its ability to um, bring new insights and new correlations um, to medical practice and to translational research that were never before possible before this um, uh, this new era um, of uh, big data. And I'm, I'm not just talking about data that's so big or complex that our old traditional methods of processing um, have become inadequate. I'm also talking about um, the use of these data uh, to predict um, behaviors of disease, um, to predict um, outcomes for patients, to be able to um, use advanced analytical methods to extract um, new value from data. Um, th this, when I was training and in medical school, was just an, uh, an unheard of um, thought. Uh, and it was an impossible concept because the technologies didn't exist right. to either collect, analyze, or use um, data in the volumes um, that we do now, um, in, at the speeds that we do now. But the cautionary tale that I want to bring to Health Connect South is something near and dear to my heart as a pathologist, and that is the quality of the data. Um, it's one thing to have a lot of data, but it's quite another thing if the majority of that data is um, to use a data science term, garbage. So for me, this is all about garbage in, garbage out. And in point of fact, there is right now in biomedicine a crisis in reproducibility of scientific data. Um, this kind of irreproducibility uh, crisis doesn't exist for the physical sciences like like chemistry and physics, and you, you, you really don't publish something that you can't reproduce, but it happens all the time in biomedical science, and um, it's causing a, um, a great deal of um, uh, expensive, um, time-consuming, time-wasting, um, and I think unethical consequences for patients because we can't rely on the data to develop new therapies or diagnostics where the industries that do those things are losing huge amounts of money and the cost of this inefficient um, failure-ridden process is filtering down to high costs of um, new drugs, new therapies, um, and new technology. I want to talk about this at, at Health Connect South. 
um, the, the, the need to focus right now on the quality um, of data that we're producing at such breakneck speeds. What's um, an example of the type of data that you're talking about that you feel is not necessarily what you would call high quality? You can't, you, you, uh, maybe it was a, a small study and, and for, for whatever reason, and other folks who are coming back to try to replicate those types of outcomes are not able to achieve it. Well, the one that is directly in my purview and the one that I'm working to address at the College of American Pathologists has to do with the quality of human biospecimens that are living cells, tissues, fluids taken from patients in which we measure things for medical purposes and we measure things to actually manage patient care. Those are, um, that's done all the time. In fact, um, about, it's been estimated that about 80% of all objectively measured parameters, objective data in a patient's medical records comes from analyses that we do on patient samples, biopsies, blood, um, sputums, whatever it is. So we're looking for molecular biomarkers in those samples to um, reflect the underlying health or disease state of the patient and make informed decisions based on that and monitor patient's health. So the biospecimen is a powerful source of data. And one could argue that there's more data about you in one cell in your body than in all the rest of your medical records combined. But we don't have, at this moment, any standards in place that are enforced in biomedicine that allow us to control and record the quality of biospecimens that are used to make these measurements. There are no standards. Actually, there's one. And those are the ASCO, that's American Society of Clinical Oncology, and CAP, College of American Pathology Guidelines, for handling breast cancer samples to be tested by Hercept test, which measures overexpression mm -hmm. of, of HER2. And that test alone determines whether you are going to get the targeted therapy, Herceptin, a very expensive but life-saving therapy, but there's no point in giving it if your cancer is not overexpressing the target. And the way we determine the molecular state of that cancer is by doing an analysis on the breast cancer tissue itself. So it became quite clear about a year, a few years after the Hercept test um, and Herceptin had been approved by the FDA, and this was the poster child for precision medicine, um, that there were an enormous number, about 20% of false positives and false negatives being generated from tests on breast cancer samples. And this was completely unacceptable. Patients were being denied life-saving therapy who needed it, and on the other hand, patients were being given 
hundreds of thousand dollars worth of therapy for which they were not going to benefit and only accrue side effects if there was a false positive result Mm -hmm. on their Mm -hmm. sample. So um, one, it became clear um, from uh, from what I call biospecimen research, which is a kind of research done on biospecimens to understand the specimen itself and how things that we do to and with the specimen actually change its biology in an artifactual way. Right. So that when we when we measure the, uh, the molecules in it, we're we're not measuring we're not measuring biomarkers that reflect the underlying disease state that we're trying to get a handle on. We're actually measuring artifacts. So Cap and ASCO um, tried to address this problem by coming up with guidelines. One aspect of these guidelines is directly referable to the quality of the biospecimen. In other words, you can have a perfect test that never happens, but let's just hypothetically say you could have a perfect test um, for a biomarker, but you'll still get the wrong answer if you compromise what you're testing, if you bugger it up, so to speak. And that was what was happening, at least in part, until they put these guidelines in place. And now it is in, you, these guidelines are enforced through the College of American Pathologists, and it it requires that you um, that you get the breast cancer sample stabilized, that you stop its biologic activity within one hour from the time that it's taken out of the body. By flash freezing, and, I guess, or something like that, some other process? Well, actually, you don't even have to freeze it. You can just put it in formalin, which is a very standard, cheap way. It's, in fact, the way that, um, the vast majority of tissue samples in medicine are, quote, stabilized. You dunk it into formalin, and the, the chemical reactions, not the physical reactions of freezing, but the chemical reactions of the formalin, stop the biologic activity. You, what you want to do is stop the biologic activity before a lot of time has passed. The reason an hour is such critical, it actually started out to be 30 minutes, which wasn't a metric that that most laboratories could meet, so they changed it to an hour. But what it means is during this hour that it's been removed from the body, it has no blood supply, it's getting no oxygen, it's getting no nutrients, it's under major biological stress, and so but the cells are still living, and they are reacting to this stress in ways that have nothing to do with the disease. Right. have to do with the biologic stress of the tissue. And then by the time you met, and, and it was shown by biospecimen research that in fact, you could take a blazingly positive breast cancer and turn it into a negative, uh, that is a sample that would test mm-hmm. negative by just leaving it sit out at room temperature for two hours which is not a long time in, in terms of right. um, laboratory time and, and medical time. So these guidelines were put in place to enforce a control over that critical, that, and that's just one um, so-called pre, 
analytical variable. In other words, a variable that takes place before you ever analyze the tissue. So my crusade um, is to is to see before I die <laughs> um, that um, we we achieve a state in medical practice where every specimen from every patient gets a level of control of of the pre-analytical variables to protect its quality, to ensure its quality for molecular analysis, something that's becoming more and more common, yields bigger and bigger amounts of data, and is driving decision-making in precision medicine. We've got to get that decision right. We've got to make sure that the big data on which those decisions are founded um, are based on high-quality data, which means that they're based on high-quality specimens taken from the patient, going back to first principles. And, and as I said at the beginning, CW, I'm actually chairing a committee called uh, Pre-Analytics for Precision Medicine Project Team for the College of American Pathologists, in which our objective is to define the evidence-based standards for control of pre-analytics for different types of specimens, for different types of molecular analysis, and see that those are enforced through the medical system, through the laboratory accreditation program of CAP. And this will change medicine dramatically. It will, it will change the quality of the specimens from which um, data is derived not only from for medical care, but those are the same specimens that the medical system has been using for decades um, to drive correlative science um, done for patients in clinical trials. It's a major source of data for translational research. So with one activity, ensuring the quality of biospecimens from patients, we will elevate the quality of the data for both healthcare and for translational research. And my big hope is also we will improve the reproducibility rate of, of research data coming out of the biomedical enterprise, at least where human specimens are the starting materials. That's what I hope to say at HealthConnect South. We've been talking with pathologists, active faculty with Arizona State University and Mayo Clinic. Dr. Carolyn Compton, also a scientist, very well-versed in data, as we've been describing. One of her big focuses is trying to elevate the quality of specimens that are collected to measure a host of things that guide what a physician wants to do for us, whether we're actually sick or not, uh, how we process medications, what what type of cancer, do we have a cancer, all of those types of things affected by a number of different biomedical studies that are obtained through specimen collection. And as Dr. Compton was describing, how a specimen is, is collected, how it is handled once it has been collected can have significant impacts on what information is relayed by that test. And as she was describing, you can take a very, very 
positive cancer study and have it actually test negative just because the way you handle that particular specimen uh, from the time it's gathered to the time that the test is actually run. So uh, her efforts have been focused heavily on trying to develop controls through which uh, various researchers as well as clinicians are able to connect and handle specimens so that we can get the information that we need and it's accurate. I'm curious, Dr. Compton, what do you see if we're able to do this, if we're able to significantly make inroads and, and improve the way we handle a variety of these biomedical specimens and, and, um, and process those, where do you see the biggest gain being in terms of outcomes? Do you believe we'll have fewer like false positives, false negatives, things like that? Where do you see the the benefit of the data that we're going to get once we start having a better input, if you will, of quality data? Actually, I think there are going to be um, numerous uh, benefits that um, affect all parts of biomedicine. Um, I think we're going to have more um, reliable results on which to base medical decision making. Um, that's a big one. We want to get the right answer for patients. We want to be able to make the right decision for them. And that depends on having accurate data from their biospecimens. Um, but in a, in a much larger sense, I mean, not only will it affect the individual patient, him or herself, but um, it will affect the quality of these enormous data sets, which we are amassing based on collections of data from um, populations of patients that we are relying on to change medicine for the better permanently for the future. This new vision of medicine um, called precision medicine, mm -hmm. um, which is not a one-size-fits-all approach, but it's highly individualized, customized to the individual molecular features of not only the patient, but his or her disease. So it, it, the, the level of precision that we need to do this and the value of the data collections um, based on populations of, of patients from whom we're deriving this data are are just enormous. They're 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 vast in scope. They're everything um, from big um, uh, government-run projects that are basically um, association studies that are looking into correlations of molecular features of patients and their diseases with exposures and treatments and 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 pulling out. Um, value from that data to show us these correlations so that we know what's causing disease, we know how to prevent it, and we know how to treat it effectively. And of course, all of these um, uh, these issues are becoming more and more and more complex because human beings and their diseases are um, so-called complex adaptive systems. They are more than the sum of their parts. They are continually evolving. And in order for us to envision a time when we are um, effectively treating patients in real time, it means that we need um, the benefits of, of big data. We need 
continual um, uh, uh, acquisition of data in real time, monitoring patients' health, anticipating what the tumor is going to evolve um, to do in terms of its new mutations and its new um, it, its new properties, which make it refractory to different therapies. The minute you touch a tumor with a therapy, it becomes a new entity. So all of this poses huge um, challenges for healthcare in the future, but also new challenges for translational research. Um, and translational research, by its very nature, means translating basic science discoveries that need to be founded on reproducible science representing truth in science um, in products for patients because we don't turn them into products for patients. In my mind, they don't pass the so what test. And companies that produce uh, new therapies, drugs that produce new diagnostics, diagnostics companies need to have solid data on which to make business decisions. They can't be bleeding money um, in, in, in expensive consequences, actually, within the pipeline of product development at the very end of the pipeline, um, losing um, billions of dollars in bad um, products based on bad science and bad decision-making. Mm -hmm. So hopefully this will filter down into more efficient drug development, more efficient um, diagnostics development, much and, and efficient, um, meaning both fast, better, and cheaper, getting um, real science that's really reproducible, representing real truth um, to the bedside of patients faster. And that's what it's all about. Are there particular areas you talked about cancer studies that can determine whether or not this is the type of breast cancer tumor, for example, that would be receptive to particular medications? Uh, are there particular areas that, as a pathologist, looking at the array of diagnostic studies that we rely upon where you believe an emphasis should be placed as we go through the exercise you're talking about where we're trying to improve the quality of data and have some better controls over how tests are or specimens are gathered and how they're handled. Do you, do you see, in addition to maybe, you know, you, we're talking about breast cancer, are there other facets of oncology or other places where we should put some of this focus to try to shore things up? Um, that's a big question. And it's, um, uh, unfortunately, the way I think about it is every specimen from every patient is important. <laughs> um, and you've got one chance to get it right and to ensure its quality, and that is at the point of care, at the moment that the specimen is acquired from the patient. Once it's stabilized, it becomes archivable, and, and, and the molecular data within it can be retrieved at any time in the future if it's properly stored. So this is a real-time issue, every patient, because of our rapid movement toward molecular analysis, molecularly-driven decisions, and precision medicine 
in all aspects of oncology, but I would extend that to say all aspects of medicine. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because we don't have the drug at the moment we get the biopsy doesn't mean we won't have it. FDA approves six months later, and the, the molecular information from the patient's tumor won't be important um, six months from the time it was acquired. So, so basically, I'm thinking about this, um, and, and that same specimen may be used for um, big, expensive molecular analysis studies um, that are funded by the government in this correlative science studies if, for instance, the patient goes on to a clinical trial. Um, so this is becoming um, an issue, and you never know, right? You never know ahead of time which patient is going to be eligible for the trial, which patient um, is uh, going to benefit from a new therapy that's just around the corner, um, or or is going to benefit from the right data from their specimen right now. So we've got to get the answers correct um, in all of these uh, realms, and they all track back to the quality of the sample from the patient. I just want to say that the entire vision of precision medicine um, is based on a paradigm that is analogous to the Hercept and Hercept test story that I just told you. That is that as we develop targeted therapies that are targeted to a specific molecular defect in a specific patient's specific tumor, that the gateway to access to that therapy will be a so-called companion diagnostic And that test will tell you whether or not the molecular target of the therapy is present in the patient or not. If it's not there, there's no point giving the drug. And in fact, it's just um, uh, not only a waste of money, but a potential risk to the patient of giving them a therapy for which they could never benefit but would only be exposed to potential toxicity and, of course, There is no drug without toxicity. Um, So there's that, and physicians don't want to do this, and patients don't merit this. So they they merit better data and better care and better decisions. So if this is the road we're going down, it means that a companion diagnostic will determine your medical care. It'll determine what therapy or therapies, plural, you will be given, and that's a, almost a direct consequence uh, of the analysis of the biospecimen. So you've got to get that answer um, right. Because this whole field is moving so rapidly, because our trajectory is toward precision medicine for every patient, um, We need to start now. In fact, the Institute of Medicine recently put out, bless them, a recommendation from their, uh, this I think was back in March, from a, a committee that had been focused on molecularly targeted therapies, biomarker tests 
for molecularly targeted therapies. And they put out 10 recommendations. This was just this year, I think back in March, as I said, but number nine of their 10 recommendations pointed directly to specimen quality. And it, and it was the recommendation was to enhance specimen handling and documentation to ensure patient safety and the accuracy of biomarker test results. So people are aware that this is happening, that, that, that the quality of the specimen um, can compromise test results, um, but doing something about it means changing the standard of care in pathology. And, it's, and that's exactly what I'm trying to do with my colleagues in pathology. Um, but pathologists aren't alone in this issue. There are many people and, that touch the specimen on its way to the analysis. And one of those groups of people are surgeons. And so the American College of Surgeons is also engaged in this focus on um, meeting the challenge of ensuring the quality of biospecimens from patients through um, our, our commitment to uh, handling and stabilizing the specimen um, in the right way. One of the things that we like to do, and it's a cornerstone of what Health Connect South is all about, is uh, breaking down silos, helping the community to, to understand work is being done and what type of partnerships and collaborations would benefit the work. As you t- discussed your your efforts around improving the pre-study handling of, of specimens, if you will, from which we're going to obtain biomedical data, um, what sorts of partnerships and collaborations would help these initiatives that you're you're focused on? Well, I think it's going to take um, partnerships that represent all of the stakeholders, CW, and I think there are quite a few because of the uh, of the downstream effect of specimen quality, data quality from specimen analysis affecting um, healthcare, affecting payers, affecting research funders, affecting regulators. Um, and I'm talking about the FDA here. I mean, how are how's the FDA going to be able to judge the quality of data on efficacy and safety that's brought to them by um, uh, by by pharma, for example, um, if they uh, don't know the quality of the starting materials? On which um, the the targeted therapy or the um, companion diagnostic were developed, they have to know that. So the FDA is paying attention to specimen quality now as well, um, and individual researchers. Who no researcher wants to get the wrong data, um, but unfortunately, um, they are able to publish it um, without even demonstrating reproducibility right now. But that. I think it's going to be changing with the reproducibility projects and focus on reproducibility that are happening now too. But this, this means that patients, physicians, payers, funders, researchers, product developers, industry are all involved. They're all involved. They all are affected by this issue and they can all be part of the solution. And I think they are going to need to be part of the solution. 
because it's not going to be trivial to change the current system to make this happen. So the incentives for doing this uh, need to come all sectors. Uh, and I would hope that Health Connect South could um, be one avenue to introduce me to um, like-minded um, colleagues and, and stakeholders who would be willing to play a part in um, solving this challenge. Well, if you want more information about Dr. Compton's work with the National Biomarker Development Alliance, you can go to nbdabiomarkers.org. There's information about the work that they're doing there. Uh, is there contact information, uh, Carolyn, for Complex Adaptive Systems Institute? Um, no, there really isn't. That's a, an integral part of the institute is within okay. um, the Arizona State University. So, But uh, you can certainly contact me um, directly about it. What what um, what contact? So my um, my professional email is carolyn.compton at asu.edu. Um, just my first and last name separated by a um, period and asu.edu. And I'd be glad to address any questions about any of my affiliations or activities and um, um, get you involved if you would like to be. Well, I certainly appreciate you taking some time this morning, Dr. Compton. I know you're quite busy. If folks are coming back, checking out the podcast, if you've not done so already, in the upper left-hand corner of the show page, you'll see the Apple logo there. That'll take you over to the iTunes store where the Health Connect South radio show podcast lives. And you can subscribe to us. That way, each week when the new episode comes out, it's downloaded straight to your device, ready for you to listen to when it's convenient for you. And we hope you turn around and share this information with your social media networks. You might just be the person that puts this information in the hands of somebody that means something to you that ends up having a huge impact either on their professional work or their personal life. So we'll say thanks in advance to all the folks that turn around and share this information for us. And Dr. Compton, I look forward to having a chance to meet you face-to-face -face at the upcoming Health Connect South event. And if folks haven't done so already, go to healthconnectsouth.com, get registered using Radio X as the promo code to get your discount. We'll have to talk a little more when you get here to Atlanta. Thank you, Charles. I look forward to it. <laughs> well, we'll see you here in about a month, a little under. And uh, thanks again for joining us today. 